inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. So much the rather thou celestial light. Shine inward and the mind through all her powers. Irradiate their plant eyes, all mist from hence. Purge and disperse, that I may see and tell of things invisible to mortal sight. John Milton, Paradise Lost. They're plant eyes. It's a book. I've been talking about it for a while, and... It's a personal and cultural history of blindness. It sure is. <laughs> I, have, I am Leona Godin, and we are going to have her on the show in a few months, I think. But today we're going to discuss the book. Not so much a review, but just um, discuss the themes and, and how it relates to our different experiences. So we asked a guest to join us. We've we've made it. We've made it to the day. First episode here of September for Outlook. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. We wanted to ask a guest on for this special episode. And so we've reached out to our, I guess you could say our, our most frequent guest on this show. This is Barry and his fourth appearance on the show. I like the, the term esteemed colleague. <laughs> okay. Too. I like that much better. I. Eh? <laughs> You're esteemed. I'm not a wordsmith like uh, like Carrie, my co-host Carrie here, the writer, the. Oh, the, I don't know. I had to get def- check definitions for for irradiate and for celestial. I do them, but just to know exactly what they are is good. Well, I understand think, the quote. I think we like to have Barry on the show too, just because he is gr- he is a good conversationalist and just really good at at uh, at talking. <laughs> and and uh, I think he has a great <laughs> presence on the air. So I just plus yeah just. Just descriptions like that, the way he described himself, um, is, is perfect and a great example of that. So, welcome Barry to Outlook again. The first time, so, the first time you were on, it was um, when we started the Outlook. Yep. <laughs> I think we were, recorded in Brian's apartment, um, and you gave us this the name Outlook. So, I yes, didn't. esteemed colleague indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then we had you on uh, partner last, in crime. It, it, sure, yes. Um, last year we had you on too to discuss another book that time. Uh, you remember that? Hello, Darkness, My Old Friend by Sanford D. Greenberg. And he was like a best friend to Art Garfunkel. And he went blind. So we discussed that book. And I have to say, I like this one a lot more than that one. Just because that guy just guide dogs and canes. No, no, it makes you blind. And I don't know, he just, he didn't have the... I don't know. Yeah, anyway. and a book like that, I think, had its has its point for history, and it's it's yeah. not a it's not bad that it it's out there in any any form of of literature, and, and you know, it has a perspective. Mm-hmm, yeah. But that just isn't quite what we're trying to get get with this show, and what we're really trying no. to inform and just make to to get people to realize that blindness isn't necessarily this dark life that people seem to have a general concept of. So I just think this book spoke to us a lot more, especially in the context of this show and where we're trying to go here in the future. Um, and we also did have Barry on one other time, just to let our, remind our listeners if they didn't catch it, when he just oh, yeah. got back from Vietnam, right as the pandemic was starting out. So we've covered well, quite fun. a few. 
a few topics with Barry here on, on, on Outlook. And I know we're all excited. We're talking over each other because we're, we're pumped yeah, well, for this episode. <laughs> I listen to plenty of podcasts and they always, they just, the one I listen to with the best friends from Lord of the Rings, they just, they just have it conversational. Yeah, most podcasts nowadays, it's very conversation. People just wing it, so they do. Because <laughs> uh, the thing comes across as quite natural then, especially with the likes of you two guys, you know, we're th- sort of three friends just sitting down, as we would say over here, having a bit of a yarn. <laughs> yeah. That's why I love you co- coming in here from Ireland too, because we get some some c- terms and stuff and words used on the show that we don't really use over here <laughs> for, for certain things, and I just think it's really great because we're all about every, like, you know, differences and and diversity and cultures and and all of these things so yeah you said um uh fair play i like that term <laughs> yeah, it's one of those funny ones i half the time people say to me oh you say this you say oh, do it. <laughs> yeah really, really, it's part of the it's, vernacular it, it's like our father who says weather that a <laughs> good old bob yep so again um let's talk about our <laughs> guest here so barry you're calling you're here from where are you right now I'm actually in Northern Ireland, so I'm in a little uh, city called Lisburn. It's about eight miles outside Belfast. Right. Awesome. Ireland's awesome. I was saying just recently that it's a 10 years. Like right now, I would have been in Ireland with my friend. Oh, really? Yeah. And I think um, it would have been, what was that, two, two years ago? Or no, th- three years ago this time, Barry would be here because he came to visit Canada in September of 2018, so... Another anniversary going on. Don't call it down that, right? On yeah, right now. Three years. That's, that's crazy to think it was that long ago that you were here. But like, yeah, that's right. That's the time when we recorded Outlook, that second episode with Barry when he was here. And I spent many a comfortable night on your couch. Oh, yes. It's right over behind me to my right here. So still waiting for you someday. Like a, fi- like a five-star hotel, Brian. Breakfast, <laughs> breakfast on the couch every morning. Nice. Yes. That's you brought it right to you. Paradise right here. <laughs> I don't know what Paradise uh, lost in that sense, but uh. Uh, well, he's it was he's had the loss. He can't, he hasn't been able to come to Canada for, because of the pandemic. So it's and that's it's Paradise here, right, Barry? Oh, I miss it. I miss it. I miss <laughs> you guys. I miss the country. Believe it or not, I even miss that oppressive summer heat. Uh, thank God it's I think going to leave us shortly, which is good. I'm happy September's here. Apple season, yeah, but I am not down. I am not happy that my favorite show just had its final episode. It, it was on every Thursday night. So I'm kind of like, what am I going to watch tonight? Because it's not on anymore. It had its finale, series finale. Is that This Is Us? No, that's been, um, they have one more year to go, but that's been off for a couple months. No, it's um, with, the, with Jason Priestley. So it's called Private Eyes, which is kind of the theme and works for the show. Uh, Jason Priestley in it, so I, you know, I've always loved him, and uh, so it's about these two people, and uh, they. You know, he's an old hockey player, but then he meets this woman who's a whose father was a private eye who's starting who's taking over the business, and he joins her. Mm-hmm. So it's like four years of will they, won't they? You know how they do that on shows. Ah, <laughs> uh, Rachel and Ross. Yeah, there's like there's like chemistry, but they don't want to wreck a friendship, and they work together, <laughs> and so they date other people. And, uh, so at the very end, last se- last episode, last week, they finally kissed. And it was like, yes. Um, but the thing I like about it, other than the name that it kind of works for the show, is that uh, in that show, he has a blind daughter. And I really love that they did that. Hmm. I kind of want to be Jason Priestley's cool. daughter. No. <laughs> um, yeah, it was cool. And 
the only thing is, so we'll talk about this theme today from the book about representation in media, which we often talk about. And I can't see the screen. I mean, there's audio description now, which is great uh, on my TV, but I can't see the screen. So I can't really see how the, they portray her. Uh, I would be, I would love to speak with her to ask how she took on that role. Uh, I know she used a cane and she had braille books and then, Future you know, Outlook guest. Well, I would love it if we could get a I wonder, did they teach her to rock and poke her eyes? <laughs> God, I hope not. And but, jump uh, up and down and flap her hands. And... Keep up the blindisms. I mean, <laughs> some of that does happen, right? It's not like out of nowhere. It does happen with people, but I, that's the thing. I don't know. I just, yeah. I made one observation a couple episodes ago. She, you know, oh, oh, dad, you're old. You don't know anything. Anyway, he had a question about his iPhone and she's like, hey, let me get, give it to me. I'll do it. And. I was hoping that they would show her in the scene, turn on voiceover. It's just how we use our iPhones. Um, mm-hmm. But they just had her walk out of the scene with it. And I was oh. like, Missed opportunity. So it seems like a prime moment. And that actually makes me think of the book because Leona mentioned specifically in their plant eyes, I think it was near the end in one of the chapters where she, she shows her older uncle how to use his iPhone. And just this, this gap that's, that's been, um, you know, sh- I can't even think of words today, like her expert from, from Ireland, the opposite of lengthening, a gap that's getting smaller. Shortening? Shortening. <laughs> um, the gap is shortening with technology that, that blind people are able to help sighted people. And, and she brings up the point in her book about how oftentimes we, we do find ourselves in situations where we feel like we're not looked at, we're not asked for help, we're not asked to help someone else out. We're expected to be the ones that need the help. So when we are... We do have an, an an opportunity where we're viewed as useful and actually have something that we can do to to show someone it is a it is a a great a great change that we're noticing more and more with with the advancement of technology here. So I'm glad you mentioned that example, Care. Yeah, it was a good one. So again, I don't know how she was portrayed, but I seem to like it. But then I had someone else say something about that it doesn't look that authentic, but it to me it, it sounds authentic. It's all I can go by, and <laughs> I don't know. But um, there's so much to talk about in this book. Uh, but first, I guess I would ask you guys about this question. So there's going to be a lot of questions I bring up today that are ones that we as blind people often do get, and you can get tired of them. Um, they're a bit cliche, but I think that they're important with three of us here today to talk about them. So let's start by, if you guys could use like one word to describe what, how, like what you see or how you see. It can be any kind of way of describing it, any kind of. Just to let, let her know that it's we don't just see blackness. It's not. I, I couldn't put it in one word. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'll, I'll be very, very brief. Um, yeah. So my right eye, there's nothing. There's no blackness. It, the circuit, it's as if you've turned the light switch off. Um, but there's no blackness. It's just the power isn't going to the eye because the optic nerve's dead in my right eye. The left eye, um, I have a tiny bit of light perception, but that's often shadowed over by loads of like floating uh, ethereal colors and yeah, they, they sort of little blobs and stuff. And it's because I have a tiny bit of retina left in that eye. Uh, the rest was destroyed. And so that tiny bit of retina, which is essentially the eye's filter, is trying to make sense of what's coming through the front of the eyeball uh, and the brain and they're they're trying to make sense of it and they sort of project these little blobs all over the place. Hmm. Uh, Which can be quite distracting. So for me, genuinely, I haven't seen total blackness in 22 years. 
So even when I go to bed at night and there's no lights, well, I still have lights. So in a sense, then you've, the last time you've seen total blackness is when you could still see. Yeah, which is really, really right. ironic. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's what, that's what, there's so many threads. I was saying that I, I, I don't know if she'll like this comparison, but I'm going to um, compare Leona to a spider just because she was able to weave such a web of, of themes that we, that I've, I've wanted to discuss forever and wanted to shout out, you know, to everyone about. Just but, imagine Carrie on the top of Mount Everest shouting. I mean, I guess yeah. nobody would hear that high up, but. I don't know Probably how. would need a seven hour episode for this book, at least. I you think know, so it's... to really get in, in deep because there's so much to discuss about, like you say, Carrie. It's like a tome of knowledge. It is a oh. web. That... <laughs> it's um, a tome? <laughs> a tome of knowledge, yeah. Good. New, more words. Love it. Never know what to is expect it, from yes, Barry. I, I love it. <laughs> um, but I, I think for me, Carrie, that, that question is, it's a really tough one because one thing I want to yeah. point out first is that even though I've been blind, I was born blind my entire life, and I am, for all purposes of this show, I am totally blind, though, to be very specific, which I guess I should also be on this show, is I do have light perception, which means I can see a little bit of, of light and dark, but I don't even know how to quite describe it, because, well, for one thing that I, I've noticed is I never, I think I always followed that sort of belief that if someone was totally blind, not like me, who could still see the sun light and during the day and, and can see a little bit. Um, for someone that's totally blind, I think I always assumed that they saw light and dark. I never really understood that until until I dated someone who was blind, totally blind. And she specifically mentioned that she doesn't see dark. She doesn't know what dark is. And I guess if you've never seen you've never seen light and you've never seen dark, then there's no comparison and there is no light and dark specifically. And that in itself boggled my mind a few years ago before I'd read this book. So as far as what I see, I don't know. I wish I had a way to explain it. Like I, I just don't even quite, again, it's just, I've been born that way and it's the way it's always been, um, to be very specific. You don't know any different, Brian. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I see. And it, the, sorry, the Thoe statistic in there, um, I don't know if it's globally, but I certainly know it's UK and Ireland. Um, it's like less than 5% of all ple- people who are registered blind, not registered partially sighted, but registered blind, are actually totally blind. Less than 5%. Yeah. Yeah, so it's so uncommon. But again, I would... Yeah. And it's, it's tough because I, I do generally tell people I'm totally blind just for a specific answer, because if you start saying, oh, I can kind of see this and that, but if I'm having a real, <laughs> a real conversation yeah. with someone, I will tell them that I have a little bit of light perception. So I wouldn't say I'm totally blind, but at the same point, I pretty yeah, much but am. but if you're in Walmart or something, you're not going to go into a whole explanation with the person helping you get for sure. the store. For sure. Sometimes it's just easier to yeah. say, if, if you're closer on, that, on the spectrum to being totally blind than you ha- are to having enough vision to be able to get by with it and to be able to really help you out for the most part in life, then I think yeah. it's better to go the other way and, and say that. But Kara, I don't know if that is quite what you're going for. I kind of wish I had more of it. Maybe if I was more li- literary and had, I was more <laughs> academic like Leona, the writer of this book and you Carrie, who's so knowledgeable and all this kind of stuff that I don't know. No, that's the thing is I wanted to ask us all that question here um, because it gives people an understanding and there is no right answer. There's no wrong answer. If you can't think of something, um, I, 
challenge my questions, like push back on them if you don't think that that applies to you. Like whatever you need to do, just be to be. All right. So are you going to answer your uh, your question? Yeah. So I would say I'm close to light perception at this point, uh, but I grew up with. I, I can't even imagine if I if I got back what I had when I was a kid, it, it would feel like I could. To me, it felt like I could see perfectly. I, I mean, I had glasses and you know things, but I loved to co- color and draw and and I just have no detail anymore. Like I'm in an office here, and to my left is the desk, and all looks to me is it's not black. Um, it's sort of dim and vague. There's no definition of of anything on the desk anymore. Uh, I used to be able to see like the frame of the desk. And so I, if I look to my right, I see a window so I can see the big light of the window, but everything else is just sort of a a vague, fuzzy expanse. I don't know. Yeah. Nothing. So, and Barry, you, um, you've always been registered blind or how does that work? Um, cause I, Uh, so you never, you never drove, right? But you you read print. Okay. (laughs) You you read print, (laughs) you read print, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I could read the yeah. um, the, the small print in a newspaper. Wow, well, I, I don't. Know. I could really. I don't know if I could ever have done that. So I think when we were both young, you had more sight than I did, but I had quite a bit compared to now. And so yeah, it's important that we get that because there, I wanted all three of us because we all can offer different perspectives, right? So for sure. Well, that's again. what I mean about you know what Brian. Sorry, no, oh, go go that, go but for that's it. what I mean about Brian. Um, so I'm sort of saying to him, well, if you don't know any different. You know, Brian can see what he can see, mm-hmm. but for the likes of me and you, Carrie, who have our our vision has reduced, or you know, we always use that. For people use that phrase, and I use it all the time myself. And I'm now starting to re- correct myself. Lost my eyesight. <laughs> you know, it's such a weird sort of way to put it. it. It's as if I was careless and put it down somewhere and forgot it or something. <laughs> 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 you know, but but yeah, from Brian's perspective, I could totally see what was, well, I just see what I see. What, what do you mean? Oh, I'm just picturing your, your sight <laughs> left somewhere. I forgot it on the bus. It's that question, like, it, yeah, it's like, where is it? The, where was the last place you, where's the last place you had it? Well, if I knew that, I'd know where it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you left it on your, on the bus, like your head was unscrewed. Um <laughs> So that's why I wanted to have you on, Barry, because, yes, it, we have a different perspective than Brian, who's always just seen light and dark, or I guess not dark even, but... I don't know. <laughs> shadows? I see, yeah. I see what I think is light and what's dark. I don't, yeah, think it's, it's I don't think it's black and white, per se, though, right? No, it's... I wouldn't, yeah. I He's wouldn't got imagine. Brian vision. Yeah, it's my, own, it's my own type of vision. It's called Brian vision. I'm the only one in the world who has it at this uh, level. Your own condition. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Well... Um, okay, so like we can do a bit of critique. Like, what did you guys think of the book? Overall impressions, Barry? Um, okay, I thought it was a hard read, so I did. I thought it was a hard read in terms of uh, it comes across, and this again, it's not a negative, it's not a positive, it's just the way I sort of saw it. Was it, it's om- it's very sort of English literary or sort of English literature, uh, university, I would say it's probably college slash university level of reading mm. um, because it is so historical and, and there's loads of metaphors used and analogies and it's very, it's very colorful, so it is. Um, but... Yeah, that's a good yeah, word. 
I, I'm, I'm actually, do you know one thing that I actually, because uh, I actually listened to uh, an interview you did with Leona as well, and that really, to be honest with you, I kind of wish I'd actually listened to that before reading the book. Mm. For, the, for the reason being, that brought the author into a, a much uh, starker light for me, so it did, and made her a lot more human, and therefore I think made the book possibly more accessible. So it did, um, and I loved the the phrase that she actually uses in that interview uh, when she says, you know, think about it as like a, a reference manual for sighted people or some, something like that there. I'm not quoting her verbatim. And that's what I would say. You know, this book, I think, should and will stand the test of time as a sort of... Um, a, a reference piece, a study piece, a, a piece where people hopefully will uh, take other pieces of work and actually reference chapters out of this book. Yeah. So I think it's an important book, and I would say it's not an easy read, but it is an interesting read if you stick with it. Yeah. What about you, Bri? Okay, so I will <laughs> connect a couple of things with what Barry said here. Um, so I think his point about listening, so that interview he was referring to, actually Carrie did with Leona over Zoom for, I think this is a good time, Barry, that we take a little moment to congratulate Carrie again for this interview oh, yeah. that she conducted with Leona Godin, Fighting the Weightiness of Metaphors, a conversation with M. Leona Godin, which is posted in The Rumpus, a magazine online. We shared the link with our notes last week, podcast notes. But that that interview was just outstanding. I have I was speechless when oh, I was a different level, different level. Um, and again, that that goes to to both Leona for her brilliance and intelligence with all the stuff, and then Carrie to be able to put all that together and ask such poignant questions and be able to format it like that and organize it in such a way that it flowed. And and I think you make a really great point that that interview, which is available in print, as I said, on on the uh, the the Rumpist uh, magazine. Or am I saying rumpus. that right? I feel like I'm getting that wrong. Rumpus.net. The rumpus.net. Right. Um, you want to spell rumpus? R-U-M-P-U-S. Rumpus. Yeah, I think I kept putting a T on the end. Rumpus. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Got that. Got that down now. Um, but I think that interview really does, and especially the audio version that I would, I want to consider releasing it as a podcast because we recorded it over Zoom. So Carrie had the, the interview to go by to, to conduct the print, to put together the print version. Um, but I really do agree with Barry that I think that interview really brought out her personality, especially the audio one, that you get that in this book definitely from reading it because I really did love how she incorporated memoir to, to a point, like did reference back to her own experience and her own life. And I know that her goal with this book wasn't to write a straight out memoir. There's plenty of those out there. And she wanted to do this more in depth of look into the culture and history of blindness over the, over the centuries. Um, but I do think... And I'm not complaining about that as, as, a, as, a, as a problem with the book at all, in any way, but I do think that you lose a bit of that connection that she could have maybe gained maybe a little bit more if it was a little bit more of a memoir to where, without knowing her as well and who she was, I think it kind of does become a little bit more of a, of, a, of a manual in spots or more of a, as you say, a handbook, which I think is amazing, like, 
to be honest, oh, yeah, I definitely the something like that together. Yeah, I was blown away by the book, and I know I know what Barry means about it being a, a bit of a tough read. I think more so in the sense that it's not the type of book. It's like, oh, it's been a long, busy day. I want to unwind with something a nice, easy <laughs> read. I don't think it's the type of book no. you'd throw on to relax at the end of the day. Um, but I do think it is a very great book, and I'm not I'm not saying that at all as a as a as a negative criticism. I'm saying that more as a as a purpose for for what this book is is for and and mm-hmm. what the audience is that she 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 would get from from this book more so and i think also a thing to a, a point that i'm thinking more and more and i think Barry sort of mentioned it is the fact that it is a i think it, it this book will stand the test of time i think it's a book that yeah. it might not sell tons right away it's not the type of book you sell and it's like oh my god this book is so great. Harry Potter. We got to stand outside in a line and wait yeah. till it's the release day. But I also do think she did a ton of press on it. And Carrie, you, I caught a few of them, but you caught, I think, every single one. And I think that I'm sure helps a lot because that does put the personality to it a little bit more by having her in person. And that's why it's important that she did all made all those appearances online and virtually and mm-hmm. everything to promote this book. But but I do think um, overall it was an amazing <laughs> read, and I think I definitely got into it a little bit more on the later chapters just because. The earlier chapters are so far back that I found it a little harder to to catch some of those references, and I think I'll need to reread. I've actually, since I finished the book, I've reread certain chapters, and, and that's the nice thing about it is you can just pick a chapter at random and read it, and it doesn't. You don't really need to read the chapter before it. No, you don't need to read it in order, so you don't know. And I love that um, about it. That's one thing as well I wanted to say was um, for any sort of listeners out there who have had much experience sort of in university life. For example, mm. you'll you'll uh, they will know that university, especially uh, as you get up into masters and PhDs and things like that, there and if you sort of hang out with uh, faculty members and universities and stuff, it's a different world. It's a different world to what Joe Bloggs or Mary Smith or whatever you know, just regular people live in. It's a, it's, it's, I mean, it is a university, but it's like a, a universe as well in of itself. Um, and you'll, you'll find some very quirky people there and it sort of often goes hand in hand with intelligence. So it does, I mean, I, there was, I had some fantastic lectures when I did computer science in university, but oddballs, and I'm not saying Leon is an oddball, but I'm saying it's a different world to what, it's not, it's not the same world where you turn on the TV and watch your sitcom and eat loads of crisps kind of thing. You know, it's it's very academic. It's, you eat little finger sandwiches. Highbrow. Yeah, exactly. Highbrow. Quite cere- cerebral, so it is. Um, again, so, yeah, I, I would have, I mean, one thing, to be honest with you, I think really, really could have potentially helped the book. But again, it depends what, what audience Leon is going for. I think yeah. there's definitely an audience for it, but it depends what is... I think to reach the quote-unquote common man and common woman mm. of the street, I think a bit more levity might have been quite cool in it or maybe splitting the chapters up with, I don't know, like some fun facts or something like that there. So maybe, you know, she could bring uh, another version out that's maybe not quite as highbrow mm-hmm. and, and therefore reach, reach uh, the quote-unquote common people um, as as Blur, wasn't it Blur said that? I think you, it might be Pulp, the band Pulp. Pulp, yeah, Pulp. Single syllable <laughs> band name. 
<laughs> I didn't even know what you were referencing. I caught it. I, I caught so, it. So. <laughs> so yeah, I think from a from an academic reference standpoint, this is an amazing book. So it is, and it, it could be certainly used to shape society yeah. and the way people think about blindness going forward. But I do think we still there's still a gap for the regular the bus drivers of the world, you know, the plumbers, the the people who they you know education wise mightn't be great. And they're often the people that most most of us blind people encounter on a day to day basis. Well yeah, that's who I would like I would like this book to reach a lot of people, different people. Yeah, I'd like it to reach everybody, as I've said. Um yeah. But yeah, it is. There are spots that would be tricky for some people to 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 stick with. Um, but I also think that it definitely needs to be a book that universities use in certain courses, or you know, that academics can refer back to it and use it and and profess you know in school. And it's there's science in it and there's philosophy in it. So scientists um, of all kinds should read it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Psychologists. Yep. Absolutely. Definitely psychologists. Just to keep um, you guys on okay. track, we are we are coming up around the halfway point here. So Carrie, I don't know if you wanted to give your sort of overall thoughts on the book <laughs> um, or any more explanation before we go to break here. Or sorry, I cut you off there, Barry, if there's something else you wanted to quick add. You're all right. No, 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 Grand. No. <laughs> Grand. Um, yeah, I, of course, I love the book. I found some spots tricky. Like I, I wanted to understand all of it. So I really, I'd get to a spot where I would be like, okay, wait, wh who, what stories? Like she references everything from Homer, the Iliad and the Odyssey, you know, these things that most people don't read in their lifetime. I haven't read, um, but I have read a bit of Paradise Lost, which was, that came out in the 1600s, whereas Homer, you know, she scolds all the way back thousands of years. So, um, it starts somewhere and it takes me on a journey and I like that. Um, but there's certain chapters that I like better than others. And yet I love it. I guess maybe she would describe herself as an oddball, Barry, because she is academic. Yeah, but I was going to say of... it was neat too that she does, even though it is a very academic book, she did include a little bit of, you know, she, she references uh, experiments with magic mushrooms. And then she talks about her, <laughs> her performance. Like she's done some performance um, type type stuff with a Helen Keller interpretation that she did, and so she does have yeah. a creative side to her, and I think that sort of separates oh, yeah. her from being exclusively some people Too that are stuffy. are very academic. But at the same point, she's also is yeah. super academic, so it it does sort of obviously comes in there a little yeah, bit, quite a bit in spots. But in the book, she just uh, you dear reader, she refers to the re us the readers, the um, blind readers, some at some points and cited at others. She uh, starts her book by saying, "So I've listened to the audiobook like Barry, and I've also read the text." That's another um, point I think we should definitely bring up. But I do think we should quick take a break now. For anyone right. who's just tuned in, you're listening to Outlook here on Radio Western. We're speaking with Barry from Ireland about the book "Their Plant Eyes" by Leona Godan. We're going to take a quick break now for some promos, and we'll be back with more Outlook. I've always found Braille to be cool and beautiful. And in my artsy phases, I've been known to make jewelry, cards for sighted friends, wall art, and more with it. I find that the beauty of the system rests in the patterns the dots make when words or signs are repeated. I do not particularly like when sighted artists appropriate Braille for installations or t-shirts using giant dots. To me, this is not Braille. 
Braille is dependent upon the dots being a certain size to glide under the finger smoothly from left to right. That was, after all, Braille's great innovation. And that quote right there from Leona's book, during the, it's, it's in the chapter about Louis Braille. And that, just, that is just an example of one of many quotes from this book that really, really stuck with me. And, and if you've listened to this show before, you realize how important Braille is to me and how I, important I think Braille is culturally and as a, as a, as a skill that, that, that it just it gets me so worked up sometimes when I find out statistics and the lack of Braille being taught. And the fact that Louis invented this, this system when he was 15 years old um, and this, this whole thing just inspires me. And I just love that how in that quote, she talks about the patterns that the dots make. And that's what I love about Braille too, that I think of it as a word, I think of words as words and how the shapes that, that they generate when, you know, I don't always think about a letter specifically. I think of, or when I th- hear a, a word or something said, I think about how that whole word feels in my mind, the shape of it. And I just, I love mm-hmm. that artsy part of it. And that also demonstrates her, her artsy, unique oddball side if we want to call it that here and I just I think that's great and it also demonstrates how I was reading this book I I read it in braille with with my braille display here which I also have in my lap at this moment and I read that quote from it Um, but I had my braille display here and yes the braille was gliding the dots were gliding under my fingers through the whole book and I'm glad that they were left to right from left to right and I'm glad that they were the regular size and they weren't some weird enlarged braille or something yeah, I've come across Braille that, that was so squashed together, and that, that's hard to read. Like, it has to be a standard shape. That's, that's how it is. And I agree with Leona. I actually love using Braille as art. I think it is yeah, I remember you doing that beautiful. Quite a yeah. bit, maybe more, probably more than me, um, just because I, yeah. I never well, was I used as to make, artsy as you. I'm, well, in a different too. way. A different way, yeah, yeah for music, I guess. A different way. Right. Yours is more music and audio. Yeah, Braille is important to you and me, obviously. And, um, but it's not how you read the book, as we were saying, Barry, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, before the break, yeah. we were talking about that. So maybe talk a little bit about that and, you know, that there are different ways <laughs> yeah, to read well, besides Braille. Well, that, that's the thing, yeah. I mean, because I know I'd said in a previous show that I'd lost my eyesight when I was 18 in an accident. And I, being a, a young, stubborn man at the time uh, had no interest in braille and but the, the funny thing is the uh societies like the, the royal national institute uh of the blind and even just like local rehab and social workers and stuff like that there they looking back on it they very much encouraged that thought process of yeah you know they braille braille is an old-fashioned thing um, very much, you know, thought in terms of uh, like ink pens and ink wells and that kind of thing. And it's only with talking to you two guys that I genuinely, especially over the last sort of year and stuff, as we've sort of been talking quite a bit on the phone with the pandemic and all that kind of stuff. And I've realized that it's a lot more than just a bunch of dots. So it is, it's so personal. And it's not only just personal, it's access to information. So it is mm-hmm. um, that you, you know, I even feel like, you know, wow, I miss out on stuff. And, and also, as well as I uh, intimated to you two guys personally as well, it's actually affected my career prospects not being able to read Braille. You right. know, that's, that's crazy. Like, that wouldn't be accepted in today's society. You know, yes, there are people who are illiterate and can't read print, um, but that's very much frowned upon, so it is. And I think Braille 
really is well and well and truly overdue a revival in, in that aspect. Yep. And Leona says that in her book that technology is really bringing it back because she, she references um, when she had a, a book once and I, I, I had this experience in YouTube, Ryan, where when you get it in braille volumes, it's, it can be many volumes of really, it, like it's not eight by 10 um, size paper, even it's bigger books and they're heavy and you carry them in these big sacks. Right. And now it's electric with our braille displays. And, and, and that's so amazing. It's interesting in a way though, how that kind of did both things. Whereas in one way, technology coming in sort of eliminated Braille to where people were saying, oh, we have these these have screen audio. readers and this audio to be able to listen and our phones that talk to us and, and they have ways for us to operate them without being able to see that Braille isn't as important. But then at the same time... But what about deafblind deaf blind right. people? Right. Well, there's, yeah, there's, there's so many... They can't but listen. Then, but then the difference is at first technology was looked at like that. But then once Braille displays, although I think she says in her book, the first example of a Braille display was about 1992, which, again, it made a lot of a difference once they were able to connect to iPhones with Bluetooth and all this kind of yeah. newer technology that really made it accessible. But it's just interesting how technology and, you know, people like to kind of fight it sometimes and not want to move on. But it has its, right. has its negatives, but then that still all, often results in positives as well. So, Right. I mean, different people, maybe if you're older and you lose your sight, like the idea of learning technology that you might not already be using is intimidating. Um, for sure. I kind of think Leona, uh, I compared her to a spider in our first half of uh, the show here, but I think, I, I think she's also, she reminds me a lot of Louis Braille. I don't know why, like she has that creative, innovative, she wants to make things. Um, but yet she, cause he was a, a teacher at this first school for the blind in Paris back in the 18 20s and 30s um, when he was a student and then he became a teacher and he lived with the at the school. But I don't know, they remind, remind me a lot of each other, actually. But it's um it's sad to me, but then I also feel sometimes very like when we talk Braille, Brian and I in front of you, it's I don't know how you feel. Like, I don't want to seem like I judge people who don't know it. It's it's not that simple. Um, <clears throat> yeah, no, well, I guess I don't feel sort of, I don't feel judged because I know you guys and I know your, your intent. And there's, I think there's a difference between passion and judgmentalism, if that's a word. Uh, but yeah, there's a difference between being passionate about something and judgmentation. Judgmental. So yeah. there is. Um, but I do kind of, I definitely feel like something's missing. You know, mm -hmm. I feel like the kid on the outside. So I do. Yeah. And I think as well, you guys made a really good point about the clarity of Braille. If, if you like, you know, that because um, my fingers haven't developed that sensitivity that, say, Brian has. But that doesn't mean that I can't read Braille. It just means, you know, the Braille needs to be a bit clearer so it does a bit more tactile stand out. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, as, as humans, we can all always learn. Well, I think that's a really important thing that she, she mentions <clears throat> in this book about how people often forget that or don't even think about it when they when they consider Braille to... People have to learn how to read. It's like anything. Like you have to learn how to do these things, and these aren't skills that we're just born with. And it's it even comes as goes as vast as people learn to see. You learn how, yeah. what what things represent. Whereas if if you don't see, and this is a big discussion that can come up with the the Molino Man chapter, if mm -hmm. if if in her book that that if you're blind and you just get sight out of the blue, or they have a quote unquote cure for your for your blindness just the magic a lot of people think oh you open your eyes you can now see but it's not it's not quite that simple and it just shows that we really are taught pretty much everything and and the way we perceive things our senses 
help, but they don't really give us the information. It's it's more taught, and they just they give us a way to access. This give us clues, yeah. Clues. And as I as I said once before, I think I said, actually said it on an episode with you guys, or I've certainly said personally to you, um, I've it's such a hard concept to get across to fully sighted people that look somebody who's been born either totally blind has no vision no light perception no nothing or even just uh, with no detail no depth perception that kind of thing for them getting eyesight back yes okay it might open up opportunities to them and more, more information because we do live in a very uh, ocular centric world. Um, Thank you for bringing be, that word in. You're all right. Uh, uh, it can be as traumatic as a sighted person losing their sight because the yeah. brain has to readjust. And uh, imagine, like, if you've never seen, and then all of a sudden all these textures and colors and depths, and it's very, it can be very, very overwhelming. Well, say, say we um, had, we got in an experiment where the three of us got our sight back. What would that look like, do you think, between the three of us? Because, like we said, Barry and I grew up with some sight, so we know what things look like. Um, I, I, I told you about a, a scene on a, in a show the other day, Barry, and you just told me, yeah, I remember that th- that one character was wearing a blue shirt and, and the table. Yeah. Like, you can remember that stuff, so you have a, a visual memory. Whereas, Brian, yeah. if you got your sight back, it might be a lot harder for you to learn how to actually see because you've never seen yeah, and faces. She, and well, Le- Leona gave well, some great examples done- in the book. A book about this she gave a few a couple people who had lost who who had this cure for their sight and just how it can depending like you say what you have seen before or what you haven't seen and it can take months yeah. up to years up to maybe just your life you're never as happy because it's not the person you used to be when you gain your sight and 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 uh it's a uh, there's there's so much i could i could bring into that but i think that that really ties into the theme which i love from this book is about tying into this this fact that blindness is not just a subject, it is a perspective. And I really think that being blind gives you a perspective that not being blind doesn't necessarily give you, but it's like any life experience that anyone has, no matter what the circumstances are, white or black or women or man, like there's just so much, it's, it's, it's not, it's not that, it's not that simple. And it's, it's, it's it's like I was saying earlier there, Brian, about um, that Leona mentions in her rumpus interview that it's not the blindness necessarily that you're fighting against it's the societal stigmas yep that is that's just totally true you know um and in terms of the carrie rasen there but maybe how the three of us might cope i i some doctor or ophthalmologist or something there would would definitely know if you're if you're listening out there uh that I think it's up to the age of five, a, a human, um, so a human child. I think it's up to the age of five is when various aspects of eyesight are actually being developed. And one in mm-hmm. particular is depth perception. And uh, so the brain, so say, Brian, for example, have you got, have you, I just want to say get eyesight back, but again, it's one of those, it, it annoys me because we talk about sight loss and, and all that, you know, that's yeah. But anyway, if <laughs> if uh, yeah, the the brain physic the physical structure of the brain just hasn't actually developed, right? In a, in a sided way, so it has like being a child again. But, if you get your sight back, it's like a newborn almost to wear, but not even the same, obviously, because you're older and you, your brain is developed at yeah. that point, but it hasn't developed the, the, those those specific parts that 
that are are developed when you when your eyes are when you have sight so it's that's so complex yeah oh goodness so yeah um we're talking again about leona's book their plant eyes and so the title their plant eyes it's t-h-e-r-e when people hear that they automatically i think think of their like a group of people um and so, you remember that from the, the quote that we read at the very beginning of this episode that we read together from yeah, Paradise so she, Lost. She, yeah, she found the quote in, in Paradise Lost. Um, and there's a whole chapter on Paradise Lost, uh, dark, Darkness Visible or something like, I think that was what it was, um, where she talks about that. So, so the title is confusing. I, yeah, I will just be honest about it. I don't know, would you call it confusing or what, I don't know what word you guys would use. Um, I think it's quirky and I love it. it um, I'd say obscure. Yeah, yeah, very obscure. That's a good word for it. Yeah. Um, again, you don't have to feel like you, you, know, if I, you don't read uh, Paradise Lost and you know, these literary writers and things that, that you can't understand it. The title, I think, does suit her and her her academic side and her quirky oddball type side. I think it does. Also, Leona, if you're listening, when you're listening, hopefully you're listening to this. We, we very much mean oddball and endearing. Way. Absolutely. Yes, I, yeah, I do. I don't, I think she would appreciate it. I think, I hope she knows the intent behind it. Um, but she is. She does seem quite fringe. Yeah. Fringe. And she talks a lot about punk things being punk and she's from that yeah. sort of era. Um, I think she would have been like she says her friends when, when she was a teenager and stuff were going to bookstores and she was sort of following them. Um, but I think she does weave a lot of her life into it. Maybe not not enough for some people. Again, I wasn't even I by, think, by saying that earlier, Carrie. I wasn't saying not enough in the sense that I th- yeah. I wanted more. I was just saying that in the sense of getting a feel for her. But I I mean I I do think you do really get you do get a feel for her in the book for sure. And I think that's a great yeah a great part of it. I just I I sometimes feel like just Barry pointing out that interview because that interview you did with her really was personal and had such a casual yet informative, but yet personal feel. And I really do think we should release that interview as a, as a podcast, a bonus episode someday. I agree. But yeah, sorry. Going back to the title. Yeah. It's, and I don't know, Carrie, the more you've read the book now, I guess maybe you have a bit because you've read the book. I said, I've read it once and then I've read a few chapters a second time, but how many times do you think Carrie, you actually have read the entire book? I don't know how, how many times all the way through because I have jumped around. Right. So I'll just jump to another chapter if I haven't heard it in a while or I'll listen for a while and then I'll get busy with something else. Um, but I'm just going to have it on hand all the time. I genuinely think, right, so yes, while I find this book quite academic and a bit of a hard read and, and I do have concerns about how accessible it is to the regular person, mm-hmm. but I think this book could genuinely and should actually be required reading for yeah. uh, certain um, universal university studies and yeah. rehabilitation workers, so, uh, social workers, yeah. um, you know, that, that, that sort of interested parties into yeah. disability and culture and blindness. And it, it genuinely should be uh, required reading and it should be used in academic study. Perfect mm-hmm. for a show on a university station to get that message yeah. out there. So uh, Western, I, get, yeah, get some copies saying. of their plant eyes and, and get them into, if the, into the coursework. And Carrie's so excited. She keeps talking over yeah. me, but that's a good Sorry. thing. Sorry, I just, I, I just, I'm just basically nodding my head verbally. I agree, I agree, I agree. I really, I really do. I hope that people listening, if you're a Western student, you will consider reading Their Plant Eyes by M. Leona Godin. 
personal and cultural history of blindness. Uh, it really does illuminate a lot of things that I would like sighted people to know. Uh, and I learned a lot from it. Um, Is there anything else specific about the title, though, Carrie? Like, yeah. what, it, what it means, or if you want to try and... Um, from what I'm trying to, what I'm gathering from it is it's, it's sort of tying into this, is it somewhat getting on that a ancient sort of idea about the blind prophet or just, just how blind people, how the, the eye and the vision isn't necessarily a, a visual thing, but it's, it's more of a metaphorical thing looking into the yep. inner, the inner eye. I think that's ties into it somehow with the, with the title. Yep. What do you think, Barry? Did you get it? Do you have questions? Like... I, I like it, but um, yeah, I really am curious about this topic to see what other people say. I don't, I, um, I mean, I don't know. I did find it quite, quite obscure. Yeah. Um, and I can't, my, my big, my, my concern is look, I mean, and it's, it's not, it's not good, but it is where society is nowadays. Mm -hmm. Attention deficit disorders are all over the place. I know, that's people, why I'm worried about it. People flick, I mean, nobody listens to the albums anymore. Well, I know Brian does, but I'm talking, you know, the mainstream, the majority of people kind of thing. We have streaming services. We have entertainment on the on a, on top. And if you get tired of something, people don't stick with things anymore. So they don't, um, yeah. you know, some people might find it quite hard work. Uh, yeah. But, but again, it doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile. No, once you open, uh, open that book, I think. I mean, the, the book is very much a Pandora's box, as, as I think probably listeners can tell. We're, we're, we're all sort of tripping over, as we've all so much to say and points we want to make. And, um, <laughs> and I guess, if the, so if, please, anyone out there, pick this book up. Nobody is actually saying that it's, because it's a hard read, but clearly we've all got a lot out of it. Who doesn't like so a I good have, challenge? Yeah. Well, you know, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. Yeah. Please, any professors listening, please look into this book. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all true. They're plant eyes. It is. It's like, so they're like over there, plant eyes. So you're planting the, the site somewhere other than where it is. So like you said, Brian, it's a metaphor. And yeah, a lot of these you know, these stereotypes about things over the years, these tropes of the blind seer, uh, that either we're beggars on the street or we're have superpowers and people are afraid of us because we can do things that they didn't believe we could do. Superhero stuff, seer stuff, looking into the future with an eye that's not necessarily And a lot of this stuff sight. derives back from 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 history and these the ancient Greeks revering the blind as poets and prophets, this whole idea, but when you lose your sight, you get these these superpowers or these visions of things that you don't have when you can see and and sure like mm -hmm. sight it's like anything and it comes up in this book a lot about how sight can play a lot of tricks on people when they talk about when she brings up blind spots and these things that i've heard of but i've just never always just being blind i've never thought about that's weird what is a blind spot i mean i've heard people talk about that when they're driving and and stuff like that but just just all of these things yeah, there's, that, there's the so society things. is just full of derogatory terms um, towards blindness, blind drunk, um, blind sort of to be blindly ignorant, and it is complicated, right? Like sighted people think that they have this advantage over us, but really, your sight can play tricks on you, and does. And you and there's she, so she quotes Homer and the Iliad and the Odyssey all the way up to Star Wars. She says Obi Wan Kenobi said, um, you know, 
your eyes don't trust them. They, they can play tricks on you. I often describe sighted people as like cats. <laughs> They're distracted by shiny things. <laughs> yeah. No, you, we talk about that the time, right? That nothing visual is distracting for us, but that doesn't mean we don't have a lot going on in our minds a anyways. A lot of other distractions, yeah. Yeah. It, we totally make up for the the lack of, of, of the other things. Um, but yeah, I'm not even like really looking at my notes. It's, it's funny. I made some notes, but I just thought we could review some of the chapters and we've been doing that. Um, Brian, you liked the, um, the one on Braille, as we said. Louis Braille and his invention, but you also like the Molyneux Man, as we said. Barry, what about you? Did you have a chapter? I like, I like the, the travel chapter, so I did. Um, um, talking about the history of the white cane. And, the tap, and then, it's the tap-tapping of blind travelers. Yeah, yes. Break out that Braille here um, and read those notes, because I love that chapter she, title, too. Yeah. She mentions, um, was it, is it David? David? Uh, the bl- the, the Daniel. Bathroom? Daniel Kish. Daniel. Yeah, Daniel, because okay. uh, I was thinking David Koresh, but I think he was doing something in Waco. Um, but <laughs> I don't know him. I don't, I don't know him. <laughs> oh, we'll not go into that. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, that whole sort of, he, he, like, it's not just that he clicks his tongue to create a sonar like sound and a, 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 um, the, the, to sort of get information about the world around him. He doesn't just go, he actually has, I mean, he must have like a super tongue. Because he does it, was it like three or four or five times every second? Yeah. Like I, I couldn't, do, I don't think I could do anything with my body three or four times in a second. Like, like you shake your leg, you guys shake your, both shake your leg pretty fast. Ah, yes, this is true. <laughs> um, but, but this guy, yes, Daniel, like he's, he's totally blind. He's flying, flying around on mountain bikes. And- yeah hiking and and just bouncing the sound from his mouth out into the world and uh picking up on whatever information he's getting back i mean yeah it, it is i mean i i must say look i think sometimes sighted people can be forgiven slightly mm-hmm. for thinking when they see these extraordinary feats yeah. um wow they're super blind or, or look what that this person could do and that but the, the thing that annoys me then is whenever we're all sort of lumped into the same barrel oh you're blind why can't you do that right or it's the whole idea about meeting a blind person and saying like oh it's so great to meet someone who's blind and sure that's that's fine but like you really would need to meet quite a few people who are blind because i think it often can be sort of yeah you think it's more harmful for sighted people who've met maybe one blind person in their life because they then they go off thinking that that maybe almost it's and that's why it is hard doing a show like this because it's we are speaking about blindness, but we're not, we're, and we never want to be speaking for everyone. We don't know the experiences of other blind people. We're just talking about our experiences and the people we have on the show. I mean, for me personally, right, um, not being able to see, having sight loss, being blind, whatever label gets attached to it, <clears throat> it's genuinely, I guess it can make things difficult, but it's not the blindness, it's society and the barriers that are put up in our way. Um, to me, it, it really should not be thought of any more than it's a characteristic in the yeah. same way that somebody's got blonde hair, brown hair, blue eyes, or they're tall or they're short or they're, you know, that's it. It, yeah. it sounds very oversimplified, but it, sometimes things really are just that simple. That's the, that's part of the, one of the things I do, like I did that did attract me to the National Federation of the Blind and stuff when I got involved and heard about them. 
um, was that they say blindness is a characteristic, but it doesn't define us, but it does shape us. And it, and that's why our three perspectives are here to, today to talk about it. And I hope the listeners, <clears throat> if they don't like read the book, there, get something out of it. People out there who say, for example, um, have a few extra pounds of weight on them that they would like to shift or whatever, you will know what it's like when people look at you. They, they presume a lot about you, so they do, but they don't know you. They presume that you're just lazy or that you're greedy or... Yep. When you Plotness, actually know yeah. that life's a lot more There's complex. A lot more than, than meets the eye. Yeah. Yeah. And that phrase, or like you stomach. said, that phrase, like you said, Brian, whereas when we see somebody and they say, well, you don't look blind. Yeah, I didn't bring that and up Le- on the show yet, actually. That was uh, behind Leona the scenes. Leona points that out. But I think Leona a- points that out, and we talk so about just, that. So just to keep you guys, everyone here on track, so we're pretty much out of time now for today, or do we want to, do we have more to discuss for one more little... Oh, we got more. A little bit. I think I have a lot on my list, so I think we will take one more break here today on Outlook, and we'll be back with one more segment. I think we will wrap it off at that, though, as yeah. we said, we could do a yeah. seven-hour show on this if we wanted to, and we will be referring back to this book, I'm sure, throughout the show for, for many, many years to come, because it's, it's going to be a, a reference for Outlook, and we're, we thank Leona Godan for, for that. But um, yeah, we're going to take a quick break here again on Radio Western, and we'll be back with more bonus outlook bonus everybody you get a bonus episode or segment i guess of outlook this morning on radio western or as a podcast we're making an extra long episode today and we want to get right back to it with our guest and friend barry from ireland and we're talking about here we're still here we're talking about their plant eyes a personal and cultural history of blindness by m leona godin g-o-d-i-n um, and so there's so much to get to. I wanted to talk a bit about Helen Keller, which of course she comes up in these sort of books. And I knew a, a bunch about her growing up. I, I read up on her and watched things. And um, But the chapters, actually one leads to another in the book. Her chapter on Helen Keller is called Helen Keller in Vaudeville and in Love. Very interesting t- <laughs> title, I don't think. Yeah, so I just wanted to quickly mention regarding Helen Keller that growing up, I'd of course heard that name, like I believe probably most people listening. I mean, I don't know now if it's still taught taught in school, um, but it definitely I was. Think... It, it came up in class for sure, and, and when I was in school, um, and I was integrated. I was in the school with with ever with the the general public. I wasn't in a segregated bl- uh, school for the blind. General public. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's, again, it's, again, it's, you never know what to call. <laughs> I know. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, but for me, I, I'd always heard of Helen Keller, but I think I was never too connected to her or I wasn't, I was never super inspired. I don't know if part of it yeah. was the fact that she is also deaf, I think. And we talk here about other disabilities and how we, we, we want to talk about all disabilities on the show. And I do think that there is a prime example of how if you don't live with it, it's hard to to be aware of it and to connect with with someone that has that. So I think to me, the idea of being blind and d- death just felt kind of like a separate thing that I couldn't really wrap my ro- mind around. Relate to. Yeah. Relate to. And then I, I just want to say that reading this book and getting a bit more of an idea of Helen Keller with her... I'll As say an her, adult. Her s- socialist views and p- political views, which I feel like <laughs> I agree with a lot of the things that she was... You yeah. know, back in those days for, for a woman to be speaking out in general was 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 hard especially a blind woman and and the fact that 
the, her views and the things that she did. And then, yeah, the vaudeville, this creativity that, that she did, it it definitely, I got, I gained a lot more respect for her than I than I'd had previously. Not not that I didn't respect mm-hmm. her. I just never really connected with her. And now I feel more interested in her. So thanks for that. Yeah, I, I can. Yeah, thanks, uh, Leona, for the chapters. I, I connect with her um, back in the day because she was a writer. Uh, I think specifically why I did. And I think also... You know, even to go even further to say that you're also a, a girl and she, she, you know, a woman and she yeah. was too. So that that sure. has that other similarity. Whereas for me, I just I didn't feel a connection really. And I just don't think it really stuck. She stuck out to me growing up. But now I'm a little more interested. Yeah. And like I was saying, the, fo- the chapter that follows that one is called Sanctified by Affliction or Not. And that one is about how we are kind of made sexless blind people. And Helen Keller had that put on her. I was saying, it's interesting in the chapter about her, one little tidbit I'll give away is she had one chance for romance kind of in her life. And her brothers, it's said, chased him off. And, and so sad. Like, why could she not have love it, at some point? I think it's, it's, it's lovely if everybody can experience that, that feeling once at least, right? And for people to deny her that. And again, like you said, not want to hear what she had to say on women's rights, on, on, you know, the issues of the day back in the 20s there and stuff when she was on vaudeville and touring around this, the whole country. And um, But what about you, Barry? I don't know if you... I think, well, yeah, the brothers chasing them off, I think as well, that <laughs> sort of speaks to that whole societal thing that because somebody's blind or has a disability that they need to be protected and sheltered and... Babied. And, yeah, and, and also, well, people don't realize, look, when you're actually doing that, you're you're actually doing the opposite. You're stifling. So you are, and I, I think yeah, um, Helen experienced a lot of uh, prejudice and uh, stifling in her life. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, she's probably one of those people that, you know, if she was alive today, she'd be just an amazing character to meet and hang out with and and times have changed right so maybe she would have been able to find love like things are things have gotten better when you take when all the stuff that she went through and she lived through back then yeah what what a force a character she must have been you know uh, that i mean we think we have it hard now yeah (laughs) you know i think that's what i've responded to in her too yeah yeah, it really does give you that different perspective and the fact that, like you say, we always want to point out too, and it's, it's, it's pretty well known, but, and this book still really gives the best example, but how, of course, things have, have improved over the years, and we, 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 we don't take that for granted, and we realize when we're talking nope. about all this stuff that we're, it's, it could be much worse, and we're, we're not, you know, we're still grateful for the advantages that we have these days, but it just, it still doesn't mean that things can't go a lot further um with no 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 we certainly should be uh i think yeah obviously always pushing for for change not for change sake but for improvement and i think again that's where there's a fine line between sort of advocacy and um sort of trying to just fit in and, and get along with people um you know, we often see that with fundamentalism and extremists and in other areas of life. And I think it's as, as much as important in the sort of blindness world that we take people along with us rather than... But that doesn't mean that we have to be grateful and so thankful for the scraps that uh, people throw down at us. 
Yeah. And um, this this shouldn't be stuff necessarily. I think we should be grateful for it because it should be stuff that we're entitled to. We're entitled to respect and dignity as much as anyone else. Yeah. So what about in as far as love then in 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 that sort of thing? What are you guys' thoughts on that? Those chapters. I know you Brian said had a yeah, lot. So um, we put on time for all I of actually, it. Actually, I I read that chapter this morning actually because that was another standout chapter for me, and. I'll just say here on air that, you know, I'm I'm 34 years old and I've only ever been in, in one relationship and that was just a couple of years ago. So I've struggled with, with dating and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and sure, there's so many factors that go into this. It's, it's, it's personality, it's, it's confidence, like there's, but in a lot of cases, blind people aren't as confident as they ca- could be because of society and culture. And I think this this does have an effect, and I've just I've always felt a little uncomfortable, just because, yeah, I don't I feel like, and sure this isn't everyone has a different opinion, but I still think the a lot of people still feel that blind people aren't sexy or aren't into into that type of stuff or are this innocent these innocent people, and this is this thing that's come back from years i mean they she gives an example in the book of course someone like ray charles who if you see that movie you can tell that he's not innocent he does all sorts of stuff but um <laughs> he but, loves love <laughs> but that's an exception from the pa- like of these pe- blind people that the that the public it stands out no of whereas yeah. most most blind people you don't see blind people ever you know sexualized in any form any image it's just it's and it's just it's it's it is frustrating. We're begging to be sexualized in the media. Yeah, yeah I know what so, we're doing. It sounds weird to say it that way, I suppose, but I think it yeah, is just that I mean. that feeling that we just sometimes you feel, and it's like how you tie back earlier to being taken care of. That we're still children in a way, or we can't be independent adults who have the same desires and needs of as everyone else. And it's it is something that is embedded in in culture that it gets me very yeah. passionate. And I'm, even I'm, even some <laughs> of the or, even some of the organizations for the blind do that sort of thing. I think it's so weird, and I, I think I believe that uh, I, think, I can't remember where it was, but Leona sort of talks about this here in the book as well. It's just incredible how, as a society, um, our, our, a lot of our societal things. Now, I can get it. I can get it from maybe some safety aspects, for example. But out of all the five senses, the majority of the world focuses on this one sense that is sight. And that's like the most important thing. So, so things are aesthetically pleasing, uh, you know, even to to the detriment of bo- people's body shapes. For example, like when you look back at high heels for women, they, yep. yeah, right. they, they accentuate the leg and the foot and all this kind of stuff. But they're absolutely horrible for your feet and your calves and your hamstrings. They're horrible pieces of equipment. <laughs> <laughs> it's like most it's like most things where like i think she says in her book i believe it's around they say 85 percent. and of course this is hard to really measure but of of information is taken in or people say that's taken in by by sight so it's it's this thing that we've but that's just that's more so a choice or a or a cultural development over time that we put so much belief in in sight and seeing and and then that really does tie in barry i think it's great how you brought that in with the the sexuality part that that ties in so much to it because sexuality is based on so based in our society specifically on visuals and this imagery and all this kind of stuff that if if you're not it's like everyone's completely forgot about pheromones yeah like there's so much more to it than (laughs) 
How could you forget yeah. about pheromones? I know. They're such lovely things. <laughs> but it's like do, uh, blind people touch faces. No, we don't. But maybe you touch your, your, your partner's face, right? Like there's certain situations where that happens. But yeah, and, and I think it's also hard for, for men in a slightly different way than women who are blind to date. So in the chapter, she talks a lot about how um, blind men are not considered, they can't take care of a partner, so they're not considered seriously. Um, yeah, so a girl yeah, went on a date with a, with a, with a guy and then <laughs> brought along her boyfriend and was pretty much sort of comparing this guy. And it's almost like the, the guy, her, her current boyfriend would feel, wouldn't feel threatened because, oh, this blind person, she would never want to be never, with a blind person. Yeah, but yet maybe she does. And then there's a and then, lot of uh, it, a lot of projections go on. Yeah, projection. And Leona uh, talks about like schools for the blind used to separate, well, racially back in the day, but they also separated boys and girls. They they didn't want two blind people. You'd think maybe oh, blind people will probably just date blind people in the future and probably marry another blind. But a lot of these schools didn't want fraternization, as they say. They 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 forbid it. They didn't want two blind people to. They didn't want his breeding. Yes, breed. Yeah, they, they didn't want his breeding because, again, uh, you know, this affliction of blindness, this terrible, horrible, awful thing that we should be all be pitied about. They didn't yep. want us producing more of us. It's like the ugly laws that took back place back in the day. Anything, anybody who had a disability who was out in public, oh, we got to hide them. That's that's an eyesore. We don't want to see that, right? And, and it's it's a very very dangerous road to go down. That so it is. Um, and it's it's horrible that it hasn't been addressed because you know the, there's there's not a big jump between that and what a certain little jumped up general in in Germany did back in the forties. Yeah, yeah, it's this judgment just because and they, <laughs> just because people are di- are different because they're Eugenics. not blonde with blue yeah. eyes and white and all this kind of stuff. They're not the perfect human. Yeah. Yeah, no, this the love chapters or the romance yeah, chapters. There's so really... much to, to discuss in that, and I, I, I just quick wanted to mention this. The, the whole idea. Your, sorry, I, w- I wanted sorry, to mention about the, <laughs> the sort of love type of thing very, very quickly. Go for in it. In my experience, I, I certainly over here in Ireland and in the UK, I've came across um, sort of old, uh, sort of beyond middle aged men, and genuinely, and it's like a, it's generalization, but. From what I've observed, it's the, the guys who have sort of, it's like an achievement to get a sighted wife or yep. a sighted husband who can do X, Y, and Z for you. <laughs> but then equally, it's such a, what's the word, um, not oxymoron, such a, sort of, such a paradox so it is, mm-hmm. that on the other side of it, but if you meet a, a partner and they're, you're blind and, they, and they're blind, then it's like, oh, they found each other. So you mm-hmm. can't win. These middle-aged men, you know, they're uh, a lot of the ones <laughs> that I've seen. They're 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 wives. It's it's almost like they're characters. They they become mm. their characters. I mean, like, but a lot of know. a lot of wives take on that role for their husbands. It That's becomes true. maternal. I think it's more accentuated with probably yeah for sure. But I, what I wanted to just quickly add is this, and I think she she does touch on this a little bit in the book. But it's just a way I always feel with this is. Just, I don't know why it makes me, and part of it is our society where we're so focused on, again, this might tie into the ocular centrism, which I think we should touch on here. We have just under 15 wrap minutes up left. On, yeah. We still have about 15 minutes, so we're, we're doing all right. Um, cool. But I just wanted to say that 
I always feel like people are like, oh, you don't care what someone looks like. You're blind. So you could be with, you'd be with anyone. And I, again, I know that's a, that's a, that's another area to kind of get into, but I just, I always feel, I always feel sort of like I'm looked down on when people say that when really it's like, how do you know? Just cause I can't see, I still know if someone's, you know, 500 pounds and doesn't care about even trying to, trying to work on, 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 on being healthy. And, and, you know, I just, I just, I've always find that an insulting thing to say. And it just, it always really rubs me the, the wrong way when people say that, oh, you, you know, you, you can't see, so it wouldn't matter who you're with. Like, it's, it's not that simple. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah, I, often, so- I, often, I often get that as well with some, I find that's quite a, very much an alpha male type thing to um, sort of throw out there. It's like, it's like you should almost just be grateful that anyone's interested in you. Sort of <laughs> yeah. Thing. yeah um, and and it's, it's, a, it's an alpha male statement that's, in my opinion, made generally by thick-headed people. For sure. And even, even, even when I start talking about this, this stuff, I feel, feel bad because I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to judge. Of course, there's people who with, with different, who are different shapes and sizes and people are attracted to all sorts of people. So it's, yeah. not, it's, it's not about that. It's more so this, this, this assumption that because you're blind, you wouldn't care what the person you're with is, it looks like. You know, we, he, between all of us, um, we've been married, we've been, we've dated sighted people, we've dated blind people, um, you know. But, you know, none of us are married. You know, it's like, then there are stereotypes come in because I, I'm, St. Brian and I never get married um, and have families as two siblings in our family when our two sighted siblings have gotten married and have uh, families, right? Is that, that's a, it's like, oh, of course those two blind siblings aren't, aren't, aren't married, right? There's, there's just, there's So I guess I'm going to get society. married just to break the stereotype. <laughs> well, good, Brian good will be the you. old bachelor and you'll be the old spinster. <laughs> I've joked about that before and written about it. That me uh, as an old spinster, I like. I think of like like Anna Green Gables and yeah, a woman my age would just, definitely be a spinster. Would it, I I would say whatever happens, just embrace it, and you'll probably have a, a lot more fun either way. Yeah. So you will. Yeah, I think like my, my ex wife, my ex wife, yep. she's decided to become the crazy cat lady. <laughs> Why not? Cats yeah. are cool. Yeah. So let's tie this back to um, ocular centrism, which we've mentioned here a few times, but all of us, I think, have. And uh, it's a very self-explanatory term, I I think, but maybe that's only my opinion. What do you guys think? I could probably walk out in the street now, and I would struggle to find a single person that knew what ocular centrism. Yeah, I'd never heard of it when I read until I read the book, and that's kind of interesting. And now I use it all the time because it's exactly the word that explains how I want people to understand how the world works. Yeah, Carrie, can you, can you sum up for our listeners what ocular centrism is? So it means, it just means it centers ocular, your, your eyes, the visual. It, se- it centers sight, as we've said, in a way in society, in culture, in our history, in our present, hopefully less than our future, right? It just, you know, it's, it's like, like everything's t- based around it. So it is. Yeah. Everything's like Brian, built upon it. Yeah. Like Brian said, that, that, that They've, I guess, the American Medical Association seems to think that there's, if you if you can't see, which is like eighty five percent, like you said, of the, what's important as in our senses. If you don't have that, then you're lesser than. Ocular centrism means that we're centering the sighted world, which we do, and it's understandable. You know, there's less blind people in the world, obviously, than sighted. Um, it feels weird, like it feels like a small number, but yet I know there's so many of us out there. Yeah, it's weird when you say a small, such a small percentage, but there's so many people in the world that that small percentage is still a lot of people. 
I'm fascinated by the other senses. I'm fascinated by how, how the senses like touch, but yet, like Brian said, when we, we can see in our mind's eye, what braille words and letters look like, we can picture them from, cause we've felt them. And so the, the sense is go, you know, going between fingers and, and, and your brain it's, or going between your eyes and your brain, what we see is you, is with our brains. And if the connection's t tampered with, we're not going to see as well. But like Brian said, it's a middle ground, this book, which is where a lot, most of us are based. You know, there's the Helen Kellers and then, yeah, it, you know, Ray Charles, but. It really is the, the, the contrast between the, the super blind with, with your Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder to the, yeah. to the, this pitiful beggar. That we that we know in our in our culture and our media and films and just one more thing about the book very specifically that I loved is just the amount of research that went into this and I know we said she's a very academic person but just the amount of references to TV and movies and articles and memoirs yeah, she, and she brings her friend she brings her friends in like like people she admires and writers and and memoirists and yeah. with so many perspectives. I mean is she actually as Leona says in, in the Rumpus interview. This is twenty years in the making. This book, yeah, exactly. This yeah, isn't exactly. So, this isn't somebody just a book that somebody just threw out in two or three years. This is massive. Yeah, and I don't know how you did it, Leona. I don't know how you brought it all together. It blows my mind. Yeah, you wee oddball. But I think <laughs> you can call me that. Don't I do her? Second, oh, Leona, okay. go down. But the but the sighted world has a really hard time. Um, Realizing that sight is not all that necessarily. It's I, I I don't want to say that, but you know. I think it's it's and Leona points this out. I believe it was in the final chapter of the book about how sighted people can never quite have the the blind experience. Oftentimes they think, oh, you know, if I put on a blindfold or if I close my eyes, that'll give me an idea. But the <laughs> fact is, it doesn't. As we were talking a lot about earlier about the brain development and all these things that go along with being able to see or if you can't see how your brain develops to be able to adapt to that like the fact neuroplasticity that, is amazing and when someone can't ex ha live an experience or they can't gain full understanding of that experience it's it's scary or it's nervous or they don't have the that understanding so it, it, it becomes this this mystery in this in this thing and that and that it's has a major effect way, it's the same way sort of maybe to try and for any listeners to try and sort of put it into perspective perspective where you might be able to grasp it it's like for example you can watch on the news all the horrifying things that happen and you mm -hmm. can feel empathy and sympathy and all this kind of stuff but you don't actually know what it's really like unless you're there yeah like you know afghanistan like yeah. what what is what that must that be like i don't know no. and 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 so how much slack do we give sighted people i don't i don't know i i i hope some of, a lot of them read this book but like you say i worry that a lot of them maybe won't like it because it's shining a light as i as you want to say on on these things that maybe people don't want to think about i don't know it is and it's so messed up in the sense of you think about it guys right the, the three of us with our various levels of visual impairment and our, our life experiences and stuff and we struggle with the language. It's so integrated and interweaved language into our society mm -hmm. that, as you even said there, Kay, about sort of shining the light. Mm -hmm. You know, that... Uh, the name of the show, Outlook. We, yeah, it's all... It's, it, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're buried under the weight of it, as we, Leona and I were, um, both keep saying. It's, it's a weightiness. The that's weightiness why they of gave, metaphors, yeah. That's why they gave that title, yeah. 
So how much slack do we give you? I don't know, but I really would like you to read this book. Anyone listening, it, it'll, if you want to understand blindness, this book will really I, help. I, I would like to say too, that this book, and we point this out on this show a lot of, we're not, we're not trying to preach. We're not trying to, mm-hmm. we're trying to just have a, an open discussion and a fun, casual discussion. Obviously some of these issues get us a little we're, bit worked up and passionate, beings. but <laughs> we're human. We're all human beings and therefore we're all multidimensional in the same way that, you know, people are becoming more educated about things like pronouns and transgenderism and various sort of sexual preferences and stuff. It's, it's no different to sight and blindness. You know, we're, we're just, we're all individuals. We're all different. Yeah. And the final chapter of her book, chapter 17 is called constructing blind pride out of ancient and evolutionary blind memes. So she talks a lot about how memes are not accessible, the things that go around these days and whatever those... But it was interesting how she looked into the history of the word meme and that it wasn't this always this internet yeah. thing. It, it had a meaning before that. And it's like, it's a cultural... Um, how did she word it here? I know I put it in my notes, but um, it was a fascinating history into the word, a cultural replicator is, oh, is the yeah. original origin of the meme and what it there actually means. There are so many means. beautiful, so many beautiful phrases in this book that I, I that I would have loved to just quote because they. <laughs> I know I just, had to write down a few just because like it's said. just like yeah exactly just on, that's it. Just on that point, before I forget it, just on, on a slightly certainly come back to this, but slightly more lighthearted thing, uh, guys, search on Facebook if uh, you're so inclined. Blind memes. There's actually a group on uh, Facebook, and uh, yeah, they mm. they make memes. Uh, the internet memes more accessible to blind people. Because Leona comments on that in her book. For one, that when she gets someone to describe her a meme, she's she says comments kind of how like. Was that really worth all that effort, me even bothering to ask? I feel kind of silly for <laughs> yeah. asking because they often translate to something kind of somewhat, you could say, pointless in a lot of ways. But And she also silly. mentions that a friend or someone that she knew created an ocular centrism meme for her to spread the word about this and to get that out there. And I just thought that was also yeah. really cool. Yeah, it's a powerful trans- transporter of information these days for people. Whatever, it, it might just be something silly, but it's still going to get it to for them. Sure. In, and I'm not saying something silly that it's not, that's still not fun. And no, we have it, to that's be light. We, we need that. Casual and have some fun light moments because even though culture might lead people to believe that blind people are very innocent and... Oh, we all, we all spend our days sitting in our houses, reading our braille and listening to the wireless in the dark. <laughs> wireless is this world war ii or what <laughs> well they actually do believe it or not they still have a charity in the united kingdom here uh wireless for the blind it's called oh. um i suppose they did do a good thing back i know a lot of people still like ham radios i haven't given them a chance myself but uh i think they are supposed to be pretty cool especially because i'm into radio well i i just love like some of these chapters portrait of the working Writer as blind, working in, in quote, yeah, That um, one quotes. would definitely stand out for you, I would imagine. Yeah, that one stands out for me. And then The Secret Life of Art and Accessibility is another chapter. Like, it, she just talks about how writers who are blind don't get treated, like, they'll, they'll send in a, a, a short story about a blind character, and, and the editor will be like, well, I don't think a blind person would do that. And we're like, wait, and it's from a I'm telling you that one might. Yeah. So that she talks about that, and she talks about sound art, which I, I love. Um, but she talks about the opera world, just how any in, in the arts, it, if you can't do something the way everyone doing it thinks you should, adaptation should be an important part of art. But um, for some people, it's not. So like I say, from art to science to literature, philosophy, this book just has yeah, so that. much. Yeah, and just because we've always done something a certain way. I mean, think the thing about it, guys, 
there was uh, there was a time whenever African American people couldn't drink out of the same water spigot as everyone else. Yep. Was was that okay? Of course it wasn't. We had to change it, so we have to change some stuff here as well. Yeah, let's change some stuff. I love change, even though it can be scary. It's also it can be, but it can also, be exhilarating. Yeah, it's how you grow and learn and 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 change and it's well, <laughs> all comes well, puberty is scary and but it's part of change. <laughs> it is puberty. There's that too. <laughs> well, I think we're going to wrap it up here. I don't know where next... that came from? Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very hungry. <laughs> Well, thank you, Barry, for coming all the way from Ireland. Well, we wish um, yeah. for coming on the show today. Yeah, I really I just I wanted to have this discussion with you guys, and I yeah, I welcome. hope I hope it wasn't too even getting you to learn your lines there at the beginning. And but this no, I've, is- I've genuinely actually really enjoyed myself, guys. Me too. I'm glad that you had a good time, Barry. Okay. We always do. With all right. Other. So read their plant eyes: a personal and cultural history of blindness by M. Leona Godin. Look it up. Check it out. Send us an email. Let us know what you think of it. Yeah, we'd love to have discussions with anybody who wants to talk about the book. And thank you, Leona. Thank you, Leona. Thanks, Leona. Send us an email. Outlook on Radio Western at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB. And on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.